We pray this message blesses and encourages you. Good morning. Now, you're going to have to do better than that. I, I've been sleep training a six-month-old for the last three days, so you have no excuse. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. If I, uh, if I fall asleep while I'm talking, just leave me here and go home, and, and uh, I'll see you next week. But I would love to... Oh, it's going all right, by the way. We're good. We're good. We might be okay. Maybe. Please, Jesus, um, help us out. I would love to continue today on our series around the life of David, King David, Shepherd Boy David. Depends what part of the story you pick up on. Or the st- David is one of those things, I guess, I knew about. I went to Sunday school a lot and like chased the Sunday school and chased out to kids clubs and all those things. And I actually feel like I probably knew about David before I knew about Jesus whenever I was growing up. Um, and it was because he could fight. He fought a giant and it clicked in my head that he could fight a big guy. Um, but I, I guess sometimes when we chat around David, we get caught up in some of the mistakes that David made. Um, our minds, we nearly discredited him straight away because he made some mistakes along the way. But um, And he did, and we don't, like, like we're not praising him for, for those things. But I guess I'm still trying to look at his life and say, well, if the Lord, knowing all that would go on, would still call him a man after his heart, then there's some things we can probably learn from the life of David. And wisdom encourages us to look into the lives of others and the mistakes even of others and learn from there too. If you have a Bible, we're going to read it in a minute. You can open it to 1 Samuel 16. But I've been thinking about this idea of waiting. Um, We also, along with the six-month-old, we have an almost three-year-old. And waiting is not her specialty. I think she gets it from me. We're at this stage where if it's time for dinner, Daddy, I want to help you. But the second it's in the oven, why is it not ready? Like meltdown, like we're now crying for 30 minutes because this food is not ready to eat. And I'm very sorry that that's not. You thought we could just eat it right there. Or we go, sometimes if we go to we're like a coffee shop or somewhere or a cafe and they give you the little number back to your table and you're walking back, she's like, no, daddy, I ordered food. Like not a, not a number. She can't deal with the waiting in between. And I do think she maybe gets it from me. I think a lot about queues. Um, anybody else, do you know when you, when you come through the airport and you, you scan your ticket and you know that there's going to be a queue and you're straight away trying to find what's the shortest line, who looks like they're going to be moving the quickest, who looks like they've never been in an airport before because I don't want to go behind them, who looks like they're moving slowly through there and I'm going to try and jump in between queues. And then the moment when you're in the queue and the guy opens the little thing and lets the people behind you go ahead of you into a new queue, you're like, oh, I've been waiting here a long, a long time. Amazon Prime. Next day delivery, I want my next day delivery. I want what's the fastest way I can get this thing here to me. Microwaves, Uber just eats, all of these things to try and speed things out. We were in a cafe the other day and we waited 45 minutes and I almost lost my mind. Like we like we arrived there at like 11 and we ordered our food and then by like 30 minutes I'm like, well, we, we just asked for the lunch menu. We may as well get lunch now. We're nearly here. It's nearly lunchtime. We came for brunch and I nearly lost my mind. So it was 45 minutes and then felt bad after because I'm about to preach on waiting and what that looks like. Um, but there you go. Well, we live in an age where waiting is, it's, oh, it's so frustrating. I don't know if you enjoy it. I don't. But, and, and so we find what we, like we find whatever we can do to try to eliminate the wait time. Either let's make the wait shorter or let's fill the time in between. Do you, know, do you notice when you go in somewhere and there's a queue, what's the first thing people do? 
let me do something else while I'm waiting in this to try to eliminate the wait time that I've got. And so we either find ourselves trying to rush it or we try to fill it because we don't enjoy the wait. And I want to chat a little bit around David and a period of David's life, um, which isn't any of the fun parts that you might know about. It's not necessarily the mountaintop when it's not the valley, but I would suggest to you that it's probably one of the most vital seasons of David's life, and it's a wait time. It's this middle space. It's this blank space. And it's funny, when I was starting this, I, we actually, I preached, I looked up, like I started to study that this week and study around it this week and realized that actually we chatted about something similar in St. Mark's North the other week as well. So it's interesting to me that it's all, maybe the Lord's trying to teach me something as well <laughs> at the same time. But in 1 Samuel 16, Israel now has a king and the king has had a bit of a, what we might call like a breakdown or something. Like he's had, a, he's going through some stuff in his heart and in his mind. And it's a cocktail of his insecurities and his fears and his paranoia and his pride and the pressure of being a king and the expectation that people have put onto him. And it's, we find the prophet coming. He's kind of snuck, he, he's kind of went behind the king's back because he feels like there's going to be a new king and he feels like the Lord's leading him. And he leads him to this passage that we're going to, like, that you might have heard before people preach. The verse comes out of it, you know, the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's all around this, this passage. And we pick it up in 1 Samuel 16, um, verse 12. It says, Jesse sent for David, and he was dark and handsome with, with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. And so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. There's so much happening here. Like we kind of think this is just like, we, we, can, we can look back and we can play a whole story out, but we don't get to see like, all of what really went on. We can look back and say, well, sure, it's fine. You got to be king. It's all good. But David has this moment where he's out like looking after sheep and he gets called in front of his brothers and he gets called in front of his brothers and his dad and the prophet is there and the prophet says, you're going to be the next king. You're going to be the king and then anoints him because that's what they would do. That was the, the ceremony that would happen. They would anoint him to be the next king in front of everyone. So basically the man of God is saying, God has told me that you will be the next king. I have heard from God about you and this act signifies that you will be the next king of Israel. And it's this exciting, holy, scary moment. But there's a problem here because we caught it at the end. Saul is still king. And the prophet just goes home. And now David's standing looking at his brothers. Well, what now? <laughs> well, who's, who's going to the sheep now? <laughs> What's happening now? How do we, what happens here? The prophet just goes home and he's still, like Saul is still king. But I'm going to be the next one. But I'm still a boy. And none of this makes any sense to me. Like, what do I do now? And then actually Saul is, getting worse and I'm supposed to, what am I supposed to do and actually Saul's got kids and so they're going to be the next like, like he's going to be the next king it's not going to be me how's it going to be me they'll be the successor to the throne it doesn't make any sense and you know actually all of that might have been okay if he could have just went back to the field and just waited 
Like if the Lord found me out here once, he'll find me out here again. If he could have just got away from it all and been like, oh, that was lovely. Maybe we'll see. And just head off back into the wilderness and back to look after the sheep. Like if he could have went back out into there, stay out of sight until maybe the time would come, then I wouldn't have to work it out and I wouldn't have to look at it. But we see in the next few verses, it says, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. Now, what did it say just before that? that the Spirit of God came upon David powerfully and from that day. And here the next one is saying, and now the Spirit of God has left Saul, but Saul's still king, and David's not yet. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. And some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp. Whenever, whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you, he will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. And one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior. He's a man of war. He has good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son, David, the shepherd. Can you imagine being David? This has all happened behind closed doors. Nobody really knows. And if the king found out, and now the king wants you, can you imagine the fear? Like, has he found out? Did someone tell him? Did it leak? Did the story get out there somewhere? Saul sends messages and says, send him to, and Jesse responds by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and Saul would feel better, and the spirit would go away. He says, not that he doesn't just get to hide. It's here. He has to look at it every day and serve the man every day who sits in the seat that the Lord has told him that he will sit in someday. He has to watch it every day. He's watching him like, you're not serving like a king should, and you're not acting like a king should, and you're not thinking like a king. And he has to fight probably himself to be like, well, if I was king, that's not what I would do. When I'm the king, that's not how I'll act. He, he serves the king. He becomes the armor bearer for the king. He has to try to protect the king. He plays the harp to help the king when the king's being tormented. He's face to face every day with the king who's on the decline, knowing full well that the Lord has promised him that seat and promised him that throne, keeping this secret in his heart because if that king ever found out, he is in trouble. And what's more, then we jump into chapter 17 and that's the story where David kills Goliath and David goes out and does, like this secret coming king comes out and does what the actual king couldn't do. That king was supposed to go out and fight Goliath. He was supposed to be the champion. He was supposed to be the one that would go out and lead Israel into victory over the enemies, but he's hiding. And David, the secret king, who doesn't, he hasn't really, nobody really knows, he goes and he defeats the giant. And what happens? He comes back and the king gets jealous because David becomes a hero to everybody. It says in chapter 18, 
when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Now they came out to meet King Saul with the army who has won, and they have just defeated their enemies, and they start to sing this song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making them, her making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. From that stage on, the king's watching him because the Lord has said he could have the throne. And now Saul's starting to think, these people think he could have this throne. And if this boy could take this throne from me, as if he's not paranoid enough. It says that David, as David went on from this stage on, continuing to serve him, that a couple of times Saul would lift the spear to try to kill David. He would try to take David's life from him, such as the paranoia inside of him. The crowds begin to love David more and more, and the king hates him more and more, and it gets more confusing as the days go on. Can you imagine what's going on in David's heart and in David's mind? Like, what is happening here? Like, I maybe looked for a second, like, maybe I could become the king because the king really loves me, and maybe something somewhere down this road, but now the king really hates me, and the people really love me, and what's going on here? And I killed a giant, and I thought I was being helpful, but now I'm not, what can I do? This king's trying to kill me. And there's all of this confusion inside of his mind and inside of his heart to the point where he eventually runs away. He can't take it anymore. Like he's running away from what looks like he's running from the promise. It looks like he's running from what God has promised him. It looks like he's like, the throne is here. Saul is on it, but David's going this way. I can't take it anymore. He finds himself in the middle of nowhere. And actually in that season, Saul is hunting him down. And he has opportunities where he could kill him, where he could take the throne, where he could take what God has promised him. God said, I could have that throne and here you are and I could have it, but he doesn't. The timeline is that there was probably around 15 years of this chaos from the moment when Samuel pours the oil on him to the moment where he eventually sits on the throne. There's about 15 years of what we would describe as chaos back and forth, nearly not. Can I have it? No. Is it there? No, it's not. Could I take it? Yes, I could, but I won't. Like a lot of chaos going on inside of him. And this is where I'm fascinated by the story. And this is where I'm hugely impressed by David, not in the anointing and not in his skill and not in the songs he'd write and not in the Psalms that we'd have and not, not in any of that, not in how he would fight and kill a giant, not in how he would command and lead armies, not how he would become a king someday. I am most impressed with David in this middle bit, in this blank space between being anointed the king and becoming the king. Most like the journey between what the Lord has said and actually receiving what the Lord has said, that's where I think David is the most impressive. I think his character and how he carries himself is remarkable in the middle of it because he doesn't push. He doesn't push. He doesn't capitalize on favor. The crowds are singing. If ever there was a moment to snatch a throne, when the crowds are singing, well, the king's okay, but David's better. This is the crowd who were singing for a king, shouting for a king not that long ago. And they got one and now have decided, well, David's better than him. 
If ever there was a moment to snatch it, there it was. This, he doesn't capitalize on it. Sometimes, sometimes we can think that because people are applauding you, you're doing the right thing. But just because a crowd applauds doesn't mean that it's the right thing. Because they applauded Saul not that long ago. And now they're applauding him. I heard someone talking in a, in a podcast thing the other day and they were saying sometimes the crowd will try to give you a crown that was only ever meant for Jesus. And if you don't give it to him and cast that crown before him and put that crown on your own head, then that crown will crush you because it was never meant for you. And all of this applause comes for David and David says, no, that's not my crown yet. That's not my crown yet. He doesn't push. He doesn't take the king out. You better believe if he could kill Goliath with a stone, then he could kill a Saul. He could do it if he wanted. If he could kill bears and lions while he's looking after sheep, he could kill a Saul. But he serves him. And he trusts God. And he walks with God. And he's a man after God's own heart. See, I think David recognizes, I've said this a bunch of times, that the Lord of the calling is the Lord of the timing. He's, he's called him to be king, and so he'll get him there someday when it's right, when the time is right. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get there too soon. If the Lord knows the timing, then the Lord knows what's going on, and he knows where everyone needs to be and where I need to be and what's happening, and so he'll get me there when the time is right. And I don't want to get there too soon. I think David understands that if I get there too soon, history might repeat itself and I could end up like Saul. And so I'll wait. We forget, we forget sometimes I think that how we act and how we operate and how we, what we do, all of these things prepare us. How we act and operate and think and react in this blank space in the middle prepares me for what the Lord's going to give me. It prepares me. This is the preparation period for me. The Bible says that those who wait upon the Lord renew their strength in the middle bit. Those who wait upon him is where you find your strength. Your strength comes in the wait for where he's bringing you. The wait is what strengthens you for what is coming. And when it all seems so close that you could just have it in a moment, when the crowd are cheering you on and all you have to do is grab it and take it and they'll cheer and they'll applaud. Do I trust him enough to not push, to not grab at what's not mine yet? It might be mine someday, but it's not mine yet. Do I trust him enough? I don't know if you've ever seen any of the videos where people put like their toddler on a seat and then set a treat in front of them and say, if you don't touch that for 20 seconds or whatever, you can have it. And then they walk off and you see the kid like, the kids are like licking the top, the kids are like licking the top of this treat and they're like, can I have it? And they're touching it. And then the parent comes back and say, no, no, you can have it. You can have it. It's just an interesting like, can I wait for what I'm I'm going to get it? But can I wait until my father says that I can have it? Or do I want to snatch it and take it far too soon? Can I wait and hold on? And actually, if we look through the Bible, there's blank spaces in every story. Do you remember Moses? Moses, who is going to be the guy who would stand in front of a pharaoh and say, let my people go, this big bowl, like moment. He was in the palace and then left the palace out of fear of the pharaoh and hid in a wilderness for 40 years 
in order to come back to come back into the palace again. Like they had this moment where we don't know that much about what happened other than like he was looking after some sheep and he like met a burning bush and met God with a burning, like we don't know lots of what happened in that season, but he had this blank period where what happened in this season would prepare him to lead people through that same wilderness. God prepared him in this moment for this moment over here. If he had have went straight over here while he's in the palace and said, let these people go, let me snatch it while it's here, he wouldn't have known how to lead people through a wilderness over here because God prepares you in the blank space chatted in Balbriggan the other week about Noah, like God says there's a flood coming, there's rain coming. And so if he said, okay, well, rain's coming, and then he just did nothing, then he would have had the same fate as everyone else when the rain did come. But he says, no, no, I've got work to do in the blank space here, in the middle space here, I've got a boat to build. I've got something to do in the middle space to prepare me for what is coming up ahead. Jesus, we don't know, we don't hear that much from his birth. We hear about the moment where he ran, like, ran away from his mom and dad and ended up in the thing in the temple. We hear, we hear about that bit and then we don't see him again until he's 30. There's a big blank space here where he learns to walk with God and to pray and to intercede. He learns all of how he carry himself in his ministry. He learns it in that space in the middle. And honestly, I think lots of us have things, most of us, and most people I talk to have something that they're kind of carrying. I think the Lord's doing this. I think I'd like to do this. We might not have the language for it all the time, but like, I'd love to do this someday, or I'd love to do that, or I'd love to serve there, I'd love to go here. And they're carrying some sort of dream or some sort of promise or some sort of purpose on their lives. And the problem that we have is that if we aren't willing to linger long enough in the middle, then I won't have what it takes to get me there than to hold what it is at the end. Whenever culture is telling you, go get it, work harder, do more, like get it, don't just rely on your job, get a side hustle, make this happen, do that. Like it's telling you to go after it, to go get it, to work harder and you'll get there. When actually the economy of the kingdom is that those who wait upon the Lord, those who wait upon the Lord will get all that he has promised to them. If we aren't willing to linger, then when it gets close enough, we might push too soon. We might push too soon. Do you know all the horror stories we hear about people falling or people in ministry? And I think sometimes they just push too soon because their strength comes in the middle bit when nobody really knows you and nobody really knows your name and nobody's really heard about you, but the Lord spotted you out on a field, minding some sheep on your own, singing to him, when your heart was towards him. But it's close enough, we might push, and sometimes then it starts to look like it's going backwards, and we get disillusioned, and we start to complain, Lord, did you really say? Lord, did you really say that to me? Lord, did you really promise? And then we have people sometimes that we think, oh, these are gonna be the people that will open up this door of opportunity for me, and then all of a sudden they turn, and they don't like me anymore, and they don't wanna talk to me, and something's happened here, and my goodness, Lord, is that what you're saying? And they jump out, and they back off, and they stay away, and they never fully step into all that the Lord had for them because they weren't willing to linger in the middle bit for as long as they needed to, because the Lord who called you is the one who, the Lord of the calling is the Lord of the timing. And so we need to be able to wait on him. I'm not just waiting on the promise from him. I'm waiting in the middle until he says, 
go. Until he says, go. The test isn't in receiving a promise. The test isn't even in fully, like when you receive it at the end, when you finally get there. The test is in the middle. Can I trust God to do what he said he was going to do, even if my circumstances look different? Even if everything else looks chaotic? Can I trust him to walk this journey for 15 years? Even though like the odds are stacked against me. Can I trust that he is the one who makes a way when there seems to be no way? Can I trust that he spotted me on a in a field somewhere on my own and he called me and he said it and he put Saul on a throne so he could put David on a throne too? Do I trust him enough? Can I still obey him in the blank space in the middle? Can I still serve in the blank space in the middle? Can I still be hopeful in the blank space in the middle? Can I still believe in the blank space in the middle? Can I still worship him in the blank space in the middle? Because how we are in the middle really reveals what's going on inside of our hearts. It's really easy to love Jesus when you get the promise. The Lord said, I'm gonna be king. And it's really easy to be over here saying, the Lord's made me the king. Do you know what's hard? When you're in the middle and the king's trying to kill you. That's where the test of our faith really lies. It's in the middle, it's in the middle where you'll realize if you're chasing dreams or chasing Jesus. It's in the middle where your motives will be questioned. Are you doing this for you or are you doing this for him? It's in the middle where we'll decide, am I building my kingdom or his kingdom? It's in the middle. It's in the middle. And so my question is, could we stay the course? Can I stay the course? Can I love, can I, like, can I love him just as much in the middle as I did when he gave me a promise and when he stepped me into it? Can I love him just as much in the middle when it makes no sense and people seem like they're closing doors and they're walking away and they're leaving me and opportunity seems less and less and less? Can I love him more when it seems like I could snatch it, but I didn't snatch it, that I missed my opportunity? Can I still love him in the middle of it? Because your gifting can get you somewhere, but your character keeps you there and your character's developed in the middle. It's in the middle, in the blank spaces. I asked the band to come and join me. I've been thinking about a couple of verses in Romans 5. As we start to think around this, it says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. It's where you now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So there's this space between where I now stand and the glory that I look forward to, there's a space in the middle. And it says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials because there'll be some problems and trials in the middle because we know that they help us to develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation 
and this hope will not lead to disappointment. I stand here right now today where I am by the grace of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for me and in me and all that he has done for, like I stand here because of him and I have this hope that someday that I'm looking forward to it over here somewhere where I'll be with him, like this glorious hope that I have in him. And there's a space here in the middle where I will have some problems and I will have some issues and I will have some good days and I will have some bad days and I'll have some days when the crowd will clap their hands and cheer my name and I'll have some days when people will turn their back and reject me and walk off and I'll have some days when the promises that I feel like I carry seem further than ever and then there'll be days where they feel so close I could just grab it and there'll be all of these things happen in the middle but if I can just endure then that endurance builds my character and that character only strengthens my hope that one day I will be with him and I will not be disappointed. And it happens where? In the middle. In the middle. What God built into David in, the, in that private space is what held him in the public space. What God did inside of him in this private space, in this blank space is what held him. Whenever no one was looking and David would act like he would act, when nobody else knew David would act like he would act and that would build his character so that he could endure whenever everyone was looking. And so my question today is this, what are we doing in the middle? How are you acting in the middle? How are you preparing in the middle? Are you being obedient in the middle? Are you serving in the middle? Are you worshiping him in the middle? What are you doing in between what the Lord has said and what the Lord will do? How are you behaving in the middle? How are you enduring in the middle? Because endurance will build your character and the character will build your hope in him in the middle. Maybe you're disappointed in the middle. Maybe you're hurt in the middle. Maybe you've lost hope in the middle. You know, there was, a, there was a time when I think I've shared a little bit of it before in our lives and in our journey of ministry, we had all these dreams of what would happen and things went really sour a couple of times and we got really hurt by some people that we thought were for us and it was all a bit chaotic for a while and we didn't know what was happening and we didn't know how it was going to go and we didn't know, should we stay? Should we, like, we didn't know what was, what was really going on and we really, like that was my prayer for months, Lord, what is going on here? And I remember I was at a, a conference and the guy was preaching about Joseph and he preached back through, I'm going to give you it and then I'll never be able to preach it because I just gave it to you. But he preached about Joseph and he talked about how he was in a pit and then he talked about how he was in Potiphar's house and then he talked how he was like with the Pharaoh and all of these journeys. He was in prison. He talked like the whole way through his life and he says, but God gave him a dream back here and the dream was realized up there but he had to go through all this stuff in the middle. And he sort of, he said, that was the dream. And if that was the dream, then prison was the dream. And the pit was the dream. And Potiphar's house was a dream. And the accusations was the dream. And this was all the dream. And he was encouraging us in a moment. He said, do you see whatever's happened to you? It's all part of the same dream because it's building you for where you're going and where you're going to get to. And honestly, I was on the back, on the floor, sobbing. So I said, Lord, I, I don't have the character I need to get to where you're bringing me. I don't have it. I don't have this, the hope that I need to get to where you're bringing me. I don't have it. Lord, I don't want my gifting to get me somewhere that my character can't keep me. Lord, I don't want to snatch it because the crowds applaud. I don't want to, Lord, keep me hidden for as long as you can, please. 
because I don't want the crown. The crown's for you. The crown is yours, Jesus. It's not mine. The crown is yours, Jesus, and I don't want it. And so please, Lord, keep me hidden. And if this is the dream, then I'll stay in the pit for as long as you need me to. And I'll stay in the prison for as long as you need me to. And I'll stay with people saying stuff about me for as long as you need me to, because it's all the dream. And so, Lord, I'll hang out in the middle as long as you need me to. And maybe it hasn't come as quickly as you'd like it to. Maybe it's slower than you thought it would be. Maybe it hasn't played out how you would like, but David didn't get to where he was going without the pain and without the hurt and without the betrayal and without the self-discipline. He's supposed to be in a palace, but he finds himself in a cave. But the problems and the trials produce the endurance, which produces the character, which produces the strength in you to carry all that the Lord is bringing to you someday in the blank space in the middle. And so I wanna encourage you today, linger as long as you can in the middle. Stay as long as you can in the middle. You see, if you think you want the stage someday, stay off it as long as you can. You see, if you think you want a microphone someday, don't take it for as long as you can. You see, if the Lord is calling you somewhere, you do you stay in the middle as long as you can until he says go, because I want to make sure that I have the character to hold me as long as I want the character and the strength to hold everything that he might hand me someday. So stay in the middle. And I want to encourage you today, if the Lord has said it, it's coming for you. But just stay in the middle as long as you can. And my question is this, do we trust him enough? Do I trust him enough? Here's another one. Do you trust him enough to do what David did and hide it in your heart? I'm called to be the pastor. I'm called to be the preacher. I'm called to be the worship leader. Do you trust him enough to hide it in your heart? That he'll spot you in a field somewhere if he needs you and when he needs you? Do you trust him enough to not try to force your own path, to keep following Jesus, whatever might happen, and trust that this season preps me for the season that lies ahead? In the middle. And so let me pray for you just for a second. We're going to close our eyes. How are you feeling in the middle. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance develops the strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead us to disappointment. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, at the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. It is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit and it will accomplish all that I want it to. It will prosper everywhere I send it. Jesus, help us to trust you in the middle. You're not just the God of the promise. You're the God of the timing of the promise. Jesus, I thank you today that you're not just interested in doing something through us. You're interested in us. God, give us the strength 
and the courage and the character to linger in the middle. Even if it makes no sense, even if the crowds are applauding, even if people are trying to encourage me into another space, even if things look like they're going backwards instead of forwards, Jesus, give us the grace and the strength and the courage and the character to trust you in the middle. Help us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together? The guy's going to lead us in worship. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like any more information, please visit stmarkcity.ie. Have a very blessed week.